Is God just giving us a bunch of rules to kill our good time? I mean, what is it? If salvation isn't about what we do about our behavior, it's about what God does, then what is the role of behavior in the Christian life? That's what we're talking about today on the Tower Hill Podcast. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast of Tower Hill Church, a church for all generations. This is Pastor Jason. Hope that you're doing great today wherever you are listening to us. And I hope that you have been enjoying this series called The Road, where we're looking at really uh, the story of the gospel as told through Paul's letter to the Romans. Um, It's a very clear way of understanding what salvation means, what the gospel means, and how does that apply to our lives, and how can we clearly explain it to others. That's really the whole the whole point. The whole point of discipleship is more like apprenticeship. We are learning as we do the work so that one day we will become masters ourselves and teach somebody else. So uh, I hope that this has all been helping you as you've continued in your faith journey. And or maybe you're just jumping into this episode. That's great. Each episode is meant to stand on its own, but uh, at the same time, you can always go back and hear every message in this series uh, called The Road. Well, as we get ready to jump into this week's message, um, just a reminder that we are coming up on Lent, which I cannot believe is already almost here. Um, so next week, Ash Wednesday begins, and there are a couple of different opportunities. If you are in our area listening in real time, uh, you can come and worship here on Ash Wednesday. We have two services. We have a uh, 12.15 p.m. traditional service in our chapel, and then uh, at, in the evening, we have a 7.30 service uh, that's contemporary, and at both services, we'll be doing the ashes, and in the evening service, there is also child care, so we're excited for that. Make sure you put that on your calendar. Also, as a way of preparing during the season of Lent, I'm going to be leading a, a Facebook group. Um, called the 40-Day Discipleship Challenge. And what we're going to do is I'm going to do a devotion uh, every single day, except for Sundays, about three to five-minute video that you'll watch in the Facebook group, and then one uh, application or one step that, that you're to take that day. And the idea is that in just two small steps, you can make a giant leap in your faith. So I want to encourage you to sign up for that. You can go to our website, towerhillchurch.org, and go onto the events page. You'll find how to sign up there. Or simply go to our Facebook page, Tower Hill Church, and look under groups, and you'll see the 40-day discipleship challenge for you to go ahead and join. Well, as we continue to move forward, I hope that, um, again, this season of of life, this Lenten season, is a great time to just prepare our hearts for what God wants to do in them. Uh, for the rest of the year that maybe we aren't paying so close attention, that, that we maybe aren't focusing in quite the same way. And so uh, this is a real opportunity. So I hope you make the most of it. I certainly will be, or at least I'll be trying to. And with that, let's jump in now to this week's message, The Road from Romans to the Gospel. Welcome to this journey on the road, the road of faith. As we go from Paul's letter to the Romans to the gospel, what does the gospel mean? Who is it for? How does it impact our everyday lives? This is the road. And as we've been traveling the road, we've noticed these markers that help us see the path ahead. What does it mean to go from a place of 
of not being a child of God to being a place where you are a child of God? And, and how does it all work? And the idea is, is that if we can understand it clearly, then we can share it clearly with people who need to hear. This is the road of faith. So marker number one that we saw on this road was that all have sinned back. All have, there you, I'm not that quick. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's Romans 3.23. In other words, like none of us have our act together. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. It doesn't matter what your heritage is. It doesn't matter any of that. All of us fall short of the glory of God. We have this sin problem that messes everything up. Then the next marker on the road is, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23, it shows us what's the penalty of that sin, of that falling short, but what is the gift that God offers? Marker number three, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for us to make a way after we figured everything out and got our act together, which should be a huge relief. I, mean, I, know, I, know, I know you guys got your act together. I'm just saying. It's a huge relief to me that that's not what it means. It means that before we could ever utter a word, before we even knew that God existed, he had already laid down his life for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Marker number four we talked about last week. Well, how do you, how do, you do it? What's the mechanism by which you, you get right with God? How does that actually happen? We said it's very simple, but it's not simplistic. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And this should be a huge comfort to everyone. Because what I find, I have a lot of people come to me all the time and um, one of the most popular questions that I get asked is, how do I know that I'm saved? Like, I don't know. I've been going to church my whole life or... I'm not sure. Like, I gave my life to Jesus many years ago, uh, but I've maybe made a few mistakes since then. I don't know. Am I still in? How do I know? What do I? This this is the comfort. Here's what Paul's saying: If if you believe it and you say it, that's it. You are in. You're what Jesus describes as being born again. I know that term has so much baggage in our culture, but literally you are changed from the inside out. Paul believed, this is all Paul's explanation of trying to explain why the Old Testament law didn't work. It didn't accomplish all the things that Jesus did because it wasn't set up to succeed in that way. It's not what the law was for. The reason is you can't just obey. As human beings, we can't just obey and then we'll be perfectly good because of sin, right? He said, he said there, uh, there's a problem. Now, the Pharisees believe that problem was our behavior. You know, like kids in the classroom, you just clean up the behavior, we'll all be good. So, okay, uh, clean up your behavior, follow God's the law, and you'll be good. But the problem is, and this is what Paul's getting at, it says sin is a much deeper problem than behavior, Sin goes way deeper than that. Sin has corrupted the whole thing. Like a few drops of ink and a pitcher of water, it corrupts the whole pitcher. That sin's a much bigger problem than you ever realized. And God's grace is so much better than you ever thought. 
So, speaking of sin, I was in a fraternity. I, I was, uh, at one point, vice president of my fraternity. I was also, at one point, the chaplain of the fraternity, who, for the first time, actually read scripture as chaplain of the fraternity. It was, it was a wild time, those, those years of college. And my question was, what does be, if it's not about what we do that makes us right with God, it's about what God does, well, why does it still matter what I do? And I learned the, the answer to this question uh, at, in college, because that's when I came to faith in Jesus, was in college. So freshman year, uh, I joined the fraternity. I was known to be a certain Jason Tucker. That was the before Christian Jason Tucker. Then, then I, I went off to summer camp. I had this experience of faith that changed my life, and I went back. And actually, I wasn't sure if I was going to go back. I thought about transferring to a Christian school. I thought about lots of things, about leaving the fraternity. I thought about all that, but I felt like God was telling me to stay where I was planted. So in my fraternity, though, I was trying to figure out, how do I live as a Christian as a, as a frat guy? Like, how does that happen? How can we have, like, a major party where all sorts of behavior problems are happening? And still maintain my faith. That's why, like, oh my gosh, I, my heart is for uh, Christian college kids. I love you so much. I know your pain. I pray for you. I just, uh, it's so hard. So I go back, and I'm in my fraternity, and I decided, so, okay, I live in the house. So we're going to have a big party. What do I do? Well, I could not attend the party, which means I don't even get to go into my own room, and I go off-site somewhere else. What, do I stay in a hotel? Do I... David, a friend, I, I don't know. And, but again, I felt like if I wasn't at the party, I had no opportunity to make a difference. And that's different for all of us. We all in different situations. But for me in that situation, it was, I felt like I needed to find a way to be there. So this isn't an actual picture of my room, but it tried to capture what my room was like. I, I actually, uh, in a spirit of ministry, I wanted to create an environment where people at the party can come and talk about faith. I was like, well, how do I do that? Well, first of all, listen, when people start drinking, they want to talk about God. I don't know why. That's just what happens. And the more they drink, the deeper they get. I mean, they hit a tipping point and then it's over, but, but people get super deep when, it, when they want to talk about God. And so, um, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to create this conversation area. I actually had uh, maintenance pull out my bed, and I had a bunch of couches put in my room and uh, to, to make a place where we can just hang out. And I did have, I had Christmas lights. I was like trying to do things that like, you know, made it look kind of warm, like a cool environment. And then I had from a flea market, I had a framed uh, print of just a piece of paper that said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I hung it in such a way that if you were going down the hallway and past my room and I left my door open, you would see, bam, I'm the way, the truth, and the life when people were walking by. So, and incidentally, this is how I knew, like, I was a pastor before I ever was trained to be a pastor. Um, God wires us a certain way. 
before we ever kind of reach that goal. We've been hardwired to be with certain gifts. I didn't know it at the time, but this was my pastor's heart that was really dying to connect with people and share the gospel where they were, at the party, in the midst of the craziness. And I had no idea how it was going to work. I just, I prayed a lot. I was super nervous. And I'm like, oh, what do I do? Everybody's, you know, carrying around their red cups. Everyone's got their red cups. What do I do? Well, I'm just going to have like a Diet Coke can. And I know, listen, I know you could like swap it out, whatever, but this was my solution. I'd have the Diet Coke can. So sure enough, the parties get going and every night, and it would happen around the same time, like 12.30 a.m. That was kind of like the beginning of the magic time. If we got to 2.30 a.m., it was, nothing was good. Nothing happened. Good. <laughs> It was just like, can I please help you home? But what would happen is then people would start coming in. They'd see the thing on the wall. And like some people would, would do the, whatever, man, you know. And, but you had some who'd like sit there and like stare at it, transfixed. You had other people that would look at it and I would just be hanging around. Hey, what's up, man? Oh, hey. It, it would lead to this conversation where I'd invite him in and, and we'd talk. And I can't tell you how many people, how many of these kids who had real reputations based on their behavior in college, who would just come in and just be crying. Just, yeah, I used to be a youth group kid. Um, and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of lost. I'm feeling it. And I'm not saying that everybody decided to, like, turn their life around. Um, in fact, sometimes people will come in and they the reputation precedes them through the door. And they're just like, oh yeah, I'm Christian. Oh yeah, that's great. That's great you have that sign out there. And I kept thinking, I'm like, what? But see, this, this whole experience in college, it made me think about something. Because truly, if this was about grace, did behavior still play a role? Why did I feel compelled to show that I wasn't drinking at the party? Why did I feel like I had to act differently? I know it's not because of what I do that I'm saved, but there's something else. That behavior seems to matter. Like, does it matter the way I live my life? It it feels like yes. And so where I want to go next with this, and this is where Paul goes next, is why? Why does the way we live our life matter on the other side of salvation? You put your faith in Jesus, okay, what happens the rest of the way? And that's what we're talking about today. What role does behavior play in the Christian life? So let's jump in. Let's jump into Romans today. Romans chapter 8. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Okay, what's he talking about? The law of sin and death and the law of the spirit. You see, he's doing a rhetorical thing here. He's trying to compare and contrast two different ideas. The law of sin and death, he's talking about, is the Old Testament law. But don't misconstrue that. It doesn't mean that he thinks that law is bad, that that's the law of sin and death. He actually thinks the law is good. The Old Testament's good. What he's saying is, if, if we have nothing but trying to live by that law, we are condemned to sin and death. Because we can't possibly live up to it. We can't be as perfect as the law demands. 
So that's the law of sin and death. So he's trying to compare and contrast all those 613 commandments of the Old Testament, all those uh, rabbinic interpretations with something that he's calling the law of the Spirit, which is the gospel of Jesus. The Holy Spirit's the one who fulfills our obedience to the law. Therefore, it becomes the law of life. So he's trying to compare and contrast to because they understood the language of the law. And remember, Paul sees what happens in Jesus as something that's like legal, that happens in a courtroom, that we were once condemned and now we're not because of what Jesus did. All right, let's keep going. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So you see where he's going. He's trying to explain how if all you did was follow the old law, the Old Testament, it would never take you where you needed to go. God needed to intervene. God needed to do the fulfillment of the law for us. And so that's why we absolutely need Jesus to get where we want to go. And that is where? Life and peace. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Do you see that shift there? So now he's talking about like what happened in us. But then he's talking about how to live. So if you keep your mind focused on the flesh, it's going to be chasing after flesh stuff. If your mind focused on the spirit, it's going to be chasing after God stuff. You like that translation? I should, I should do a whole, whole Bible translation like that. And then stuff happened. And, and that'd be terrible. <laughs> The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Here we start getting at at the why behind why our behavior matters. It's not because God's waiting to put us in the penalty box. It's because if we live a certain way, it's going to lead to things that hurt us. It's going to lead to death. I can't tell you how many of my college friends from my fraternity more than, wow, probably a shocking number of my close friends struggled with alcoholism because of the habits that they formed in college. They would tell you every day of the week that was leading to death. What they thought they could control, they discovered had enslaved them. That's why God cares about how we behave because of what it does to us. He wants us to live by the Spirit so that we experience life and peace. That's the whole point. He wants our life now to be like, a, like an appetizer of what's to come. Like, this is going to be so great. You don't want to miss this. You're going to experience life and peace forever. And guess what? You can experience that life and peace right now. If you have your mind set on the Spirit. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, law, nor can it do so. 
Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. I think there are two common Christian responses to uh, Christian behavior, right? So how do I live as a Christian? I think there are two kind of like opposite extremes. And I kind of liken it to health. You know, like how does it matter how I live? Well, you know, kind of like let's take the idea of getting healthy. So the first way that people think of Christian behavior is is the way that's kind of like the Super Bowl today. I'm going to eat whatever I want. And then diet starts on Monday. I think there's a version of this. It's like our Christian behavior. I'm going to do whatever I want now. And then someday down the road, I'll start the diet. Like I'll start living the way that I know is going to make me healthy. But for now, I just want to kind of do my own thing. And listen, that's just not college students. I mean, that's it. We're all like that, right? I just want to do what I want, what I want to do. And then later on, I'll kind of. I'll kind of get it together. It's sort of like, well, if I'm forgiven anyway, meh, what does it matter? That's one version. The other version would be the person who's like, okay, I'm going to get healthy. I'm going to measure my food, count my steps, and look down on anyone else who's not doing that. Like, I'm going to be super focused. I'm going to have all these regimens. And, and if, if you're not doing these things, shame on you. You're not getting healthy. This is like the legalist version of Christian behavior. Like, if you're not doing it exactly the way that I'm doing it, then you're doing it wrong. And it's this version of Christianity is a a big reason why many people in our community are not sitting right next to you right now. It's because they had experience of that kind of Christian faith. Where you can do this, you can't do that. It's the behavior police. You're in, you're out. What are we talking about? Says who? You? This is this is a, a huge, huge issue. And something that you see you see though why many Christians fall into this. It's easy to fall into this. Because you feel like your behavior should count. You that maybe you shouldn't be the one drinking at the party. And so when you see somebody else making a different decision, you're just like, oh no, that no, that's out of bounds. That's not what God wants. Well, it's not what God wants for you. Maybe it's not what God wants for them either, but you can't just be like, you're doing it wrong. Early on in my faith, I had, I had a decent number of Christians like this speaking into my life. And I got to tell you, it did some damage. did some damage. I, I, the reason why is because I felt like I could never do enough to please God. That I was always letting God down. And that's not a healthy place to be. And then I had a, a bad father relationship where my father was never pleased with what I did and I was like transferring that onto God that happens a lot with our parents we transfer onto God and um, it took me a while to unwind all that stuff and I still have to catch myself thinking that way these are two kind of common ways of thinking about Christian behavior it's it's either Go to the party and join them with your red cup 
And who cares? You know, you're, you're with him. Or go around and tell everybody why they shouldn't be at the party. There's got to be a third way. And I think it's that third way that Paul gets to. Here, uh, let's jump to verse 12. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Well, okay, so what's the therefore he's talking about? Well, he just said, now there's no condemnation in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we have an obligation. You're not condemned by God. Therefore, it's the therefore that makes the difference. You have been saved by God's grace. Therefore, your life should reflect that in some way. Therefore, we do have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. All right, keep your hats on for this one. This is awesome. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term for father, very intimate, that Jesus used to talk about his heavenly father. He says, we all have that intimacy with God to cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In other words, the reason why our behavior matters is because we have been changed. We now have been adopted by God. I love the idea of adoption. What is adoption? Adoption is a legal transaction based on a relationship of love. Because of God's great love for us and what he did in Jesus, we are, our status changes in the eyes of the law. We are no longer foreigners to God. We are no longer stuck in sin. We are actually made to be his children, co-heirs with the son who was righteous from the beginning. We all share the inheritance of eternal life forever because we have been adopted. And therefore, as children, our behavior matters. We don't we don't care about how we live um, because we're trying to follow like a, a set of behavioral rules per se. Our behavior isn't the reason God loves us in the first place. But as God's children, we behave to show our love and respect for the Father. After all, we represent the family name. Think about this way. I want you to get in your head a boss that you really love to work. How many of you love working for your boss? Everyone on church staff, raise your hand right now. Thank you. Everyone love work. <laughs> love working for No, but, but think about in your head, like this boss that you loved working for, okay? Now, I want you to think about a boss that you absolutely couldn't stand, that you hated working for. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. Under which boss did you perform better? 
Under which boss were you happier? Under which boss did you get the best version of you? Right. The one that you love. You want to please him. You want to do well. You are inspired. You are a better version of yourself. Now think about it this way. If you are living with God as your father, with God as the one that you're trying to please because you love them, you're going to get the best version of you. It's going to be the best you possible. You're going to be more productive. You're going to be better. You're going to be living out the life of faith better because it's out of love. That's why Christian behavior matters. It does matter. It does matter. But it matters because you are representing Jesus everywhere you go and the world is watching. Believe me, the world is watching. How many pastors have to do something stupid and fall in sin? How many so-called Christians have to do something horrible in the name of Jesus? All it's doing, it's pushing the world away from, from the hope that will give them life. That's why behavior matters. We want to represent the Father well so that our lives show glory to Him. That's why it matters. And it's not because God wants something from us just to kill our good time. Oh, don't go to the party. No. He wants something for us. He wants that life and peace. Otherwise, what are we all doing? If this is all a big drag. So marker number five on our road is twofold. Romans 8, 1, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation to live according to the Spirit. And I think for all of us, whether you feel like you have a pastor's heart or maybe you have a heart for hospitality or you have a heart for service or a heart for whatever your heart is, God wants to use that in the midst of the party to share his good news with the world who's dying to hear it. What is your personal ministry? Where is your area that you could bring that better version of you into the midst of the frat house? Well, I think if we're going by that health analogy, maybe, maybe a way to start would be to say this. So it's not that, it's not the I'm going to start my diet on Monday way of thinking. It's not the you ought to do what I'm doing thinking. Maybe it's the I'll ask the doctor what makes me healthy and encourage everyone else to go see the doctor. Have a relationship with Jesus. Let the Spirit speak to you about what you need to do. It doesn't mean there's no accountability. Of course, we should be encouraging each other and be like, hey, dude, like what you're doing. Like every once in a while, it's like it's not about behavior, but sometimes we need people to be like, that's really dumb. That doesn't seem to be reflecting Jesus. But I think it starts with, hey, listen, I'm going to go to the doctor and he's going to tell me how to make me healthy and I encourage you to do the same.